So I'm the curator of the oral history collection at UAF. Archaeology professor. A senior here at UAF in anthropology. Linguistic anthropologist. I am a, a cultural anthropology student. A freshman up at UAF. Curator of archaeology. An international student at UAF. Uh, I'm pursuing my master's in petroleum engineering. Cultural anthropologist. Medical anthropology is the the study of uh, health and healing and therapeutic systems across different cultures. I'm an anthropology major, uh, but I'm also minoring in history. Professor from University of Copenhagen, Denmark, and the University of Cambridge in Britain. Teaching most of the archaeology classes here at UAF now, and I'm running the Zooarchaeology Lab. I'm a cultural anthropologist. And we are speaking of anthropology. We're live on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks every Friday from 11 a.m. to noon. A podcast version of the show is also available on our website at speakingofanthro.wixsite.com slash speakingofanthro. Speaking of anthropology, my name is Dylan. And my name is Kevin. And we are back for another episode here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks for the 3rd of December 2021. Uh, We are officially in uh, formally, you know, past Thanksgiving, firmly into the holiday season. Uh, A wonderful time of year, in my opinion. And today we have a wonderful show for you, dear listeners. Another interview. We are uh, joined by our new guest today, Evans Callis. Uh, welcome to the show, Evans. Thank you for coming on today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So if you wouldn't mind a little bit um, outlining to our listeners just uh, who you are, um, you know, what you did and what you currently do at UAF for folks who might not have met you, might not be familiar with you. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I am a born and raised uh, born and raised here in Alaska. Uh, grew up in Fairbanks my pretty much my whole life. Um, I recently graduated with a physics degree and a mathematics minor here from UAF. Um, and yeah, uh, my background I did a I did a honors capstone research project on the aurora, um, and yeah, I. Uh, I've also done a lot of uh, science communication and outreach uh, in the past uh, with the Society of Physics Students. Um, hosted some astronomy nights and physics demo nights and just got to share share my excitement about physics with uh, people from the community. Yeah, um, maybe just to start off too then, Evans, I mean, this is speaking of anthropology, but uh, but we've invited a physicist, a, a mathematician um, to to our show today. And I think for a lot of our listeners, probably they're a little confused, but there is no confusion. 
Um, Evans is a honorary anthropologist as of the end of the show today, right? Um, so uh, hopefully you'd like that title, Evans. I'm not sure if that's something you're interested I, in. I but. love that title. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, maybe maybe to briefly also just run down Evans. I think you and I had met, um, you know, through some of the honors college programs, and we were chatting, and I told you about our show, um, and it, that was like a whole year ago, right, Evans? Um, and you know, we were talking a little bit about each of our respective capstones and our experiences um, as a, as a university of Alaska Fairbanks student. Um, but what was super interesting was, uh, we started talking about your work with public outreach and science communication, um, which, you know, I, I don't know, Dylan and I have never really actually, well, we formally talked about it, but we've never really addressed the fact that kind of this show itself is a form of science communication. Um, you know, as we talk about anthropology, um, through a lens of a student, uh, you know, here at UAF and now onwards and upwards. Right. Um, so, you know, thanks so much, Evans, for, for joining us. Finally, I know it's, it's been a long time coming, but, um, hope, hope to chat and, and Evans, feel free to also ask questions to us. Um, you know, if you're like, you know, Hey, Dylan, Kevin, what is anthropology? What is your real definition? What can we, you know, talk about? Right. So this is a, a discussion today. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Um, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to join you guys. Um, and yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Like this, this show, to me, like it really embodies a lot of um, a lot of what is good about science outreach, which is just communicating scientific knowledge in a casual and approachable way to the public. So. Well, that kind of gets me to my first questions for you, Evans. Is is uh. Well, first formal question is, how did you get involved with science communication, right? Uh, because, you know, our Kevin and I, our, our history of involvement with it is pretty publicly documented in that it is this radio show, right? And so uh, that's the, you know, that's basically the entirety, well, the entirety, at least of what I do. I mean, I know Kevin does many, many other things, but for my role in science communication, it's, it's just this radio show. But so I'm curious for you, Evans, as to how you got involved and kind of what science communication looked like for you in, in uh, you know, one of the uh, <laughs> natural uh, sciences, you know, in physics as, as, you know, a little different maybe than, than the social sciences. But, you know, I'm curious what that looked like for you and what that intro was for you in science communication. Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. Um, I was thinking about this question and I thought I had a good idea for an answer. And then I realized that that answer was wrong. So I'm going to have to rephrase that a little bit. Um, so normally what I would say is that I got my start in science outreach when I joined the Society of Physics Students as a freshman at UAF. This would have been back in the fall of 2016. Um, and then I remembered that I have, in fact, done science outreach before that when I was still in high school. Um, so another bit of background on me is that I am also an astronomy nerd. I have my own telescope, do uh, love taking it out to do stargazing and um, explore the night sky and be able to you know, see things firsthand that you normally only get to see pictures of. And out of that, um, I've attended what are called, in the astronomy community, we call them star parties. Uh, they're essentially a group of people get their telescopes out and they usually invite the public to come join them and be able to see things through their telescopes. And 
these events have in the past been organized by the Fairbanks Astronomical Unit. And uh, back when I was in high school, they hosted a couple of events that I attended and brought my telescope to. And that was probably my first real experience doing that. I was probably no more than 13 or 14 at the time. Um, and it was definitely a little bit interesting given that the average age of everyone else in the Fairbanks Astronomical Unit was probably in the mid 60s or 70s. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. and. Uh, it kind of gave me the gave me an appetite to share more of that with people. Yeah, the 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 wow. I was just thinking about Evans. The the statement you made about the the sixty year olds and then Evans, um, you know, with his telescope, um, the passion w behind that. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I I can't see more. I I think um, maybe Dylan and I can also briefly speak on science communication since. I think we've never explicitly like defined it, but I think this is the first time ever that we're talking about kind of this interdisciplinary um, conversation of, of, you know, how we get across the work that we do, the research that we do um, as social scientists, as, uh, as uh, physicists, as mathematicians, um, as natural scientists of this world and, of, of course, at this university. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, one of the, the, the other thoughts that I, I wanted to kind of maybe inquire from you, Evans, is kind of the conversation that, you know, both of us, we just graduated recently and now we're kind of going from the studying, you know, and, uh, you know, being a, a uh, astrophysic uh, nerd, right? Um, uh, an anthropology nerd um, now going into the working field um, and kind of like applying a lot of the stuff that you're interested in into what you do now. Um, so maybe if you could tell us a little bit about what you do here at the university. Certainly. So um, I now work for uh, the Geophysical Institute, specifically for the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, uh, better known as HARP. And uh, this is basically a truly like world-class facility that does research on the ionosphere. And Usually if I leave my explanation at that, I get a lot of blank looks and people don't know what I'm talking about. So um, the ionosphere is a specific layer of the Earth's atmosphere that's uh, below where spacecraft normally operate and above where planes usually fly. Um, so it's kind of that in-between zone. Um, and this region is important because that's where like the aurora happens. There's a lot of interesting atmospheric phenomena that happen there that um, you know, it's it, it's an interesting region, but it's also difficult to study because you can't really send a spacecraft through it and you can't really get a plane through it either. Um, and so HARP is one way of studying that by using uh, radio waves to help interact, see how the radio waves interact with that part of the atmosphere and what's going on up there. What, a, yeah, what an interesting challenge to have to deal with, right? This. Uh, you know, region that it, yeah, it's difficult to send um, maybe some of our more traditional atmospheric or uh, space exploration programs. Um, but also, I do really just appreciate your, uh, I think, really solid breakdown of, of <laughs> what you do and what that is, because I honestly, like, um, if you had asked me uh, right before you gave that explanation what the ionosphere was, I don't know, I would have been able to give you a very good answer. Uh, so again, uh, just a very solid small piece of science communication from you about your uh, current role, which makes me curious, um, you know, 
given your background uh, that you've outlined in science communication, um, what some of the things that you have learned or realized about science communication since you started doing it, you know, like uh, what works and what doesn't, you know, or just realizations you've had about maybe what it can uh, mean or do for people uh, when you're engaged in it, you know, any anything that you've sort of realized or discovered about science communication since that was, uh, you know, something that you got involved in all, you know, all the way back even before your uh, undergraduate university days. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's also a good question. I think probably the biggest thing that I have seen, um, and this is like across the board, any sort of science communication I've been involved with, uh, is you have to find a way to do a lot with not a lot of resources, um, both in terms of like, you know, physical resources, monetary resources, and I honestly feel biggest of all, you have to do a lot with limited human resources. Um, to borrow an example, my time with the Society of Physics Students, uh, I served as president of that organization for three years. Um, and in that time there, for all of our outreach events, probably the most people that we ever had to help out with a single event was maybe seven or eight people. Um, and we had seven or eight people hosting our biggest event, which was which we called Astropalooza which was essentially a star party, like I mentioned earlier, combined with a physics demonstration night. And that event was attended by upwards of 300 to 400 people uh, over the course of about four hours. And we were managing it with a rotating crew of seven to eight people. Um, so yeah, you've got to get creative with how you, how you manage your human resources. Um, that, that is by far the biggest the biggest lesson that I got out of that and I think it's proved really valuable both going into a professional career as you mentioned Kevin like that transition from student to employee all of that is um, you know you still have to be able to make use of limited resources we only have so much so much at hand that we can work with and I think my time in SciComm has really helped helped me learn how to how to be able to do that more effectively. Yeah, I, I <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, Dylan. But uh, I was just going to say, yeah, like the, the human resource thing, I really feel because um, like even just uh, sort of the enthusiast clubs, like when Kevin and I were doing the anthropological society uh, at UAF, right? Like you, you know, getting people, organizing things, getting people to help, you know, you do the organizing. It, it's once you get a you know a handle on it getting people to show up to an event can be a lot more straightforward than getting in my experience than getting the people to help you organize and run the event yeah so i i really the human resource um stuff and you know finding people who can help out and you know willing to help out consistently uh, that really resonates that's a definitely a big one in my experience as well yeah, I, I, if I could just bear, uh, briefly add here, um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I think, you know, Dylan and I can also maybe reflect with you, Evans, you know, what, what we just spoke of, right? Um, we, we kind of ran the Anthropology Society here on campus um, and help like mediate and, and, and kind of cohort and figure out things that we can do together, right? And, you know, similarly with your event, Astropalooza, with only seven to eight people, um, amazing statistics, by the way, Evans, of 300 to 400 people and four hours straight 
um, that is not easy. Um, we, I, I can remember Dylan and I can sometimes barely handle, um, you know, we have like 10, 15 people in a, in a room because um, we, you know, we're running low on pizza, an example, or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's interesting, I think, um, and, you know, as, as a reflection is like a lot of the stuff that we do um, in courses, right? We spend a lot of time writing writing papers, maybe for um, physics, you know, you're spending a lot of time solving equations, right? And trying to figure out what things are. Um, and then I think we, I, I feel like we often forget that moment where we need to kind of pull back and say, okay, this is what we're studying from a holistic view. How can we explain this in, in the most simplest terms um, to a freshman that's just joining, you know, that are starting off in their undergraduate career? Um, how can we appeal to them with what our field is, right? Um, we almost are, in many ways, ambassadors for our majors, right? Um, as anthropologists, Evans, I'm sure, I don't know if this is a question that you have for us, but this happens a lot. You know, people are like, oh, as an anthropology major, do you study essentially uh, Jurassic Park? Uh, are you um, similar to, you know, the, just the other day, I got an inquiry about, oh, are you, are, are you doing something similar to what the show Bones does? You know, and I was like, you know, hey, listen to the speaking of anthropology here every Friday from 11 to noon on KSUA, of course, as a start, but you know, then, then, you know, try to talk about it. Um, so maybe this is a bit of a tangent Evans, but maybe what are your thoughts on what, you know, when people ask you, Hey, what do you study? What are you working on in physics? What was that experience like as an undergrad? Yeah. So I think you've really hit on something there with, um, when people you mentioning like people asking you about the show bones and all that sort of things is people find like some sort of uh some sort of pop culture touchstone essentially to grasp hold on and like that's they're like ah yes this is this is what this field is about and you know physics is no different you have you have that with all sorts of things um i i think probably one that uh would come up sometimes a lot of people get their ideas of what physics is like from the big bang theory tv show or uh other things other shows in that vein um and i i think probably almost invariably there the reactions that i get would get from people when i would tell them that i was a physics major fell into one of two categories there was the people that were like wow that is really cool and you know have a lot of questions about it and want to know more about it and then there was the other category of people that were like, oh my gosh, why do you do that? Like, why would you do that to yourself? Um, so it was, it was always really interesting. I often wish that I would have kept a tally of how many people fell into each of those categories, because I think that would have been really interesting to see. <laughs> that, that why question, right? I think, <laughs> I, I feel like maybe that is something that is slightly different between the natural sciences and the social sciences is that people generally, I think, ask the why question about the natural sciences because it's almost like, um, why would you do that? That's so difficult, I think, is in, you know, just my amateur estimation of what drives a lot of that why. Whereas I think some folks, when they question, you know, people in the social sciences, it's like, okay, but like, why does anybody care about that, right? Um, which uh, I mean, I'm sure that there are also people who ask that about plenty of the natural sciences, but just like a kind of uh, maybe the same questions that get posed to scientists in each category. 
um, at times, but maybe with, you know, different rationales, right, of, uh, you know, why would you subject yourself to that versus like, why does that, why does that matter? You know, like, what's, what's the end goal, right, which is, um, I think something that, uh, you know, scientists <laughs> have to deal with uh, across the board, right, of like, the so what, uh, you know, of what's the, you know, what's the relevance, right? Um, but I mean, maybe that's just something I've been grappling with, you know, I don't know, maybe you guys have have other thoughts on that of the, you know, the uh, so what of of what your work is, and, and, you know, what the end goal is, and what you do with it. But uh, that's, you know, something that I've been thinking a lot about, um, especially, you know, this semester in my master's program, you know, so. Yeah, it's it's that grasping of of you know, um, I mean, pulling it back to you know, Kevin always pulls it back too far. But what is the meaning of life? Sort of thought. I sure, Dylan, that's what you're thinking of. What is the value of of a degree? What is the value of something? Um, yeah, I think um, kind of maybe just discussing a little bit about you know this why question. Similarly to kind of our our intersection here today, Evans. Um, you know, as social scientists, researchers. Um, as anthropologists, we spend a lot of time, you know, as here at UAF, as undergrad, we were trained in interview skills, right? So as you can see in today, you know, working on these interviewing skills, um, you know, working to make you, Evans, feel comfortable in, in the conversation, right? Um, asking questions that are very valuable and insightful. I mean, hopefully for our listeners uh, can pick a few, you know, cool notes from. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, we do a lot of ethnographic work. We do a lot of reading and writing of, of pieces, right? Um, and so to summarize a little bit, you know, we often find that this like public outreach facet of like, you know, anthropologists, yes, they're generally or seemingly most likely extroverted folks um, who have to go out there and meet people. Um, but so public outreach is difficult. Um, and, uh, you know, we're hopefully trained for that. Um, but as a phys physics and, you know, math minor, Evans, how, how was your undergrad degree <laughs> preparing you for, for that work um, beyond? I mean, I think you mentioned your work with Ast Astropalooza. Um, maybe like if you can think of like a course, maybe even here at UAF that you could recommend that helped you personally uh, with public outreach. Yeah, so I think you bring up some good points there. Um, I think one thing that does tend to differ between the social sciences versus the natural sciences is you mentioned like that in the course of your program, you know, you kind of get prepared with like the the interview skills and all that sort of stuff that kind of helps you along that way of being able to communicate what it is you're actually working on. And the natural sciences, weirdly enough, there's not a ton of that. And a lot of what is there is focused on being able to communicate it um, to peers in your field, um, which, you know, is also an important part of the communication process is you need to be able to make your, uh, make the results of your research clear to your peers so that they can go out and verify it. You know, scientific method requires, you know, it to be repeatable. So being able to communicate your results in such a way that someone can go out and actually try to repeat your results is is important. Um, but in terms of communicating with the general public who may not have much, if any, uh, physics background or science background, you know, there's not really a ton of that specifically done here. Um, 
which I personally feel, uh, just personal plug as uh, Society of Physics students' uh, former member, uh, I feel like that is why that organization is so valuable for uh, for the physics department specifically, is because that provides a good avenue for being able to explore that kind of as with other students on your own. And, you know, we've accumulated a bunch of institutional knowledge in there. Um, uh, I believe we're up to the, the chapter as of the time that I uh, graduated was up to, I believe, four consecutive uh, outstanding chapter awards, which um, is like the highest level of national recognition that can be given to a Society of Physics students chapter. Um, and that was largely based on our public outreach. Um, so I guess, um, yeah, I guess that's uh, kind of the main differences that I see between the two is, um, you know, it's, it's kind of something that in the natural sciences world, you've got to, it, it's generally a figure it out on your own, on your own pace type thing. Um, yeah. Figure it out on your own pace. That's, yeah, that does have to be a, a bit tricky, but uh, I, you know, I am glad to hear that UAF does have, um, you know, the physics department does have that robust um, undergraduate student, um, you know, organization to draw on and to, you know, that allows people like you to at least um, get to try it out, even if it is uh, maybe a little different than the way uh, our department and our program prepares us for, for these sorts of things. Uh, so that is a very interesting insight. Appreciate that. And you have also given us an interesting selection of music for today. Um, so I believe uh, that we will start out with um, the omnif uh, Omnificate uh, doing Antecedent uh, here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks. <laughs> You're listening to KSUA Radio 91.5 FM Fairbanks. Uh, it's a beautiful Friday afternoon here, and it's a little cold outside, but not too cold. Um, I'm sure our host, uh, fellow host, Dylan, is not experiencing that, but we'll ask him about weather later today. If you're free right now, actually, um, if you're interested, the winter sale for the Student Ceramic Arts Guild is happening right now in the Great Hall from 12 to 6 p.m., or I'm sorry, it'll be starting here in 20 minutes at the Great Hall uh, from 12 to 6 p.m. here at Friday. Likewise, uh, this evening, if you're free, check out the pub. Uh, they're going to have a back-to-back -back concert tonight. Tony Taylor, the artist feature featuring Lex the Siren, will be happening here uh, December 3rd, Friday, today. Live performances at the UAF pub starting at 9 p.m. So check out these awesome two events happening on campus. It's a busy busy uh, preparation up till finals week um, but as uh, as we all know for Dylan Dylan probably is like pulling his hair out right now but Evans you and I are just enjoying our time working and getting things done and not thinking that finals are next week right so <laughs> it's it's definitely a relief to not have to deal with those now <laughs> <laughs> way to rub it in y'all a little Way bit. Rub it in. You got it. You got it. Um, Dylan, tell us a little bit about how the weather is in New York, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not too bad. It's uh, 45 um, Fahrenheit right now. It was 55 yesterday. Um, 
and then at the beginning of the week it uh it was doing this like pseudo snow uh thing but it was mostly snow mixed with rain so it was just like sleeting and so it was all melting when it hit the ground whatever was actually frozen uh and it was mostly doing that when i went into the city in the manhattan so yeah that's uh i guess that's early end of november early december here in new york is like 45 degrees and some sleet so <laughs> yeah it's a little different it's a little different i missed the snow um i i don't know how much i missed 32 below but i definitely missed the snow so <laughs> <laughs> stay warm out there everyone um and uh study hard because finals is next week and get, get ready for that um you're on the show today we have evans uh you know talking a little bit about you know this this a physicist, a, a, a mathematician um, working here at the Geophysical Institute, um, talking to us about what anthropology is, um, and of course his work with science com- communication and outreach. Um, and so Evans, you know, we're, we're, we're before we went to the break, um, you know, we played two songs. Um, the I'm gonna again, I'll try to say it now as we, we were talking around the break, the omnific antecedent, and then we also played a song called Gravity by Charles. Berthod. Um, why these selections, Evans? And, and is this something that you listen to while you work or maybe as you're stargazing? Um. <laughs> yeah, so I'm happy to talk about that a bit. Um, so in my one of my hobbies outside of the science world is I uh, play music. So I play uh, guitar and bass guitar. And uh, one, d- despite the genre differences that these two songs have, Uh, One thing that they both share in common is that they rely entirely on um, bass guitar for the for the melody, uh, which is an unusual choice. And since bass guitar is kind of my primary instrument, um, there's something that I enjoy listening to. Um, I enjoy seeing it used in a unique and creative way. And both of these songs do that. And quite frankly, to me as a bass player, they're incredibly technical and impressive um and yeah i i don't i don't i feel like it doesn't get the love that it deserves so (laughs) yeah so i'm curious if we might return a little bit to something that you had mentioned before on uh you know your your work uh with harp right um so uh if you wouldn't mind just touching a little bit more on like what your uh, current role is, as you've established quite nicely for us, so you're working with the ionosphere it, that, well, that is what harp works with. Right. Um, and so like what your current role is on that. And then I'm also, uh, you know, a little curious uh, if you wouldn't mind maybe talking about, <laughs> obviously harp is well known uh, there's, you know, certain, certain popular views about harp, right. If you wouldn't mind, uh, maybe addressing why you think certain misconceptions and conspiracies abound about harp. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, yeah. So my current role at harp is a research support services lead. And essentially what that entails is um, I'm the staff person who works with the researchers that have instruments at harp. So um, harp in and of itself is kind of a, it's kind of a conglomeration. There's the main instrument that is there um, for studying the ionosphere with uh, radio science stuff, uh, antennas and all that. 
and that's owned and operated by UAF now. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other smaller pieces of equipment scattered at various locations around the site. Uh, we have several thousand acres of land that has equipment all over the place on it. Um, and all of that other equipment comes from many, many different universities. Um, we have stuff from Cornell, we have stuff from Johns Hopkins University, uh, we have like every, all over the place. We have international stuff, we have equipment from Japan there. Um, and so my job is working with all of these researchers from all these different locations, uh, coordinating with them to make sure that their equipment is working as best it can to do the job that they put it there for. Which is no easy task, right? I assume Evans. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, thinking about, you know, the work that you're doing, um, Evans, we need to also give you an honorarium of a, of a political science international relations degree as well, I feel. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I guess maybe um, this is this is kind of a, an offshoot question that I'm thinking about as, as you talk about the work that you're doing with HARP um, and, and, you know, the, the, the relationships that you build um, and how you maintain them. And then, of course, you know, if you're working with the people around the world as well, um, you know, what's what's some challenges that you faced uh, maybe in, in, in these dialogues? Um, are they asking too much or too little of you? Um, stuff like that. I'm what, what sort of issues or 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 maybe everything's smooth and sailing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's a good point. And I think it kind of ties in with them. Um, uh, I mentioned like, you know, that we have researchers from all over the place. And well, that's, that that's fantastic from a program standpoint, like to be able to have, you know, that level of connection with other facilities and other institutes. Um, the one issue that does frequently come up with that is uh, time zones obviously are a thing. Um, so for example, if I have to go work on equipment that is run by a PI who, a principal investigator who lives in Japan, um, around the time that I start working is like something like 3 a.m. in Japan. Um, and so they'll start their workday, you know, kind of sometime in our afternoon or something like that. And uh, so, you know, if I find an issue, then it's like, well, I can send them an email, but, you know, I'm going to have to wait a while because obviously they're not awake right now. Um, and something that's kind of a not directly related to the people portion of it, but is also a unique challenge of, you know, performing this type of work at HARP is, um, so HARP is a remote facility, like we're essentially out in the middle of nowhere. And th with that uh, comes all sorts of issues that you wouldn't think to consider. Um, I'll give an example of my first uh, trip down to site after I was uh, hired by the facility. Uh, one of my things that I went out and did was I inspected one of the antennas that was a smaller antenna located out, uh, kind of isolated from the main facility, main body of the facility. And uh, one of my jobs was to go out there and inspect that antenna and look at the cabling and make sure the porcupines hadn't chewed through the cabling. Um, and this is this is a frequent issue, like, you know, that we have to, all of the coaxial cabling that connects antennas there has to be put in like plastic sheathing to keep animals from chewing through it or from it getting tangled on a moose when they walk by. Um, yeah, we've had, it's, it's just one of the unique challenges of being a remote facility like that. 
some very very alaskan problems exactly it's just about to say that <laughs> do, do you uh, need a backpack out there evans that's my next question i'm sorry i have to follow up <laughs> <laughs> uh so not i haven't needed one yet um but you know we have roads that access most of the facility so uh yeah that makes it a little bit makes it a little bit easier you can drive out there you can check the cameras that we have out there to make sure there's not a bear wandering around there um Although that did almost bite me one time, I missed the bear by about 10 minutes because I don't have cell service out in the array and I didn't see that it was on the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, it's, uh, that's something I think um, is, is alluring about Alaska, like this this wilderness. You know, we've talked a bit about it here on the show. You know, um, Evan's not sure if you've seen the film Grizzly Man by Werner Herzog. We were talking about that not too long ago. Um, but yeah, you know, that the, the, the experience of being, uh, you know, a you know, in Alaska being, uh, you know, working and, and doing these things, it's, it's definitely different. It's, it's really fun. I think at sometimes, um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, beyond that, I don't Dylan, if you're facing any or have, I've had any of those similar experiences. Um, but, uh, you know, at least Dylan and I are doing a lot of the research here on campus. Um, you know, I guess it's the occasional moose or the occasional slip trips and falls here, um, with this, you know, the, the upcoming snow and ice that, 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 covers the ground but uh beyond that yeah um evans we we're talking a little bit earlier about it. so kind of your, your current role as a research support services lead um and and you know um and working with different people from different backgrounds um and and specifically right uh you know applying that um i think you meant we, we in our previous conversations before and i think we were sitting at the honors college um and we we're talking a little bit about kind of like science outreach, um, and, and like explaining the work that you do. And you, you seem to have a very, very good, um, you know, way of explaining it, of course. Um, but I think, you know, as we approach kind of that, that, you know, I think I've, every time I've spoken of harp with somebody, uh, there's always this conception, you know, there's like con controversies out there and maybe we want to like debunk them. Um, you know, I, D Dylan, I think maybe you can speak on some of these controversies, um, that you've heard of i've heard of like like mind control <laughs> or something the, else the, yeah. the common one um that i've encountered it, yeah i feel like harp is probably like one of the maybe the nexus for conspiracy theories in alaska right but like the common one that i've heard is is harp is used to control the weather right and if, what's really interesting about that is oftentimes um like the people who say that they don't just mean like what you think of when you think of the weather like you know storms or whatever but there's also like you know people who are like it controls the weather which also means like earthquakes and stuff right and it's like okay that's that's quite an expansive definition of that but yeah evans if you wouldn't mind maybe addressing more so um maybe some thoughts you might have um given your background as well in science communication of like why you think that harp seems to attract these um sorts of i don't even necessarily want to call them theories right but these conspiracy ideas about what it actually is doing what it is capable of doing you know these sorts of things right yeah um so you yeah you bring up a good point that is something that has kind of all-encompassing when it comes to harp like it surrounds almost everything that you see about it um everything has to kind of be prefaced with you know dealing with the conspiracy theories like that was it was a part of 
it's important enough that it was a part of my onboarding process was that we kind of address like, you know, they, these do exist and, you know, we have to, something that we have to deal with. Um, and yeah, an interesting aside is that when I was trying to look for some, uh, using Google Scholar to look for some uh, research papers that have been produced from HARP, um, you know, Google Scholar has their like autocomplete feature. And one of the things that I noticed was uh, that if you typed in just the word HARP, the first auto-completion result was HARP conspiracy. <laughs> and uh, out of curiosity, I looked at it and I actually got, I actually found a whole bunch of uh, social science articles about like the psychology relating to the HARP conspiracy theories, which was, um, you know, more in your guys' field than mine, but uh, it was still very interesting to see that that HARP is a subject of research from that perspective as well. Um, but yeah, I think probably the, for me, what is, makes it the biggest reason why harp kind of attracts this these misconceptions and conspiracies about it is um you know the ionosphere i mentioned is kind of not really a part of it's not a part of our day-to-day -day lives like you know we see the aurora in fairbanks here at night um, but most people don't think much about where it occurs or anything like that i've you know i've met people that think it's at like the same height as the clouds um, and, you know, and there's not really any good way to tell that if you're just sitting there looking at it and never bother to, you know, look into the, look into the matter a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think, um, yeah, the, the misconceptions I think mainly stem around, you know, it's a part of the app you, you describe HARP as like, you know, this facility that, you know, we use radio waves to help study interactions and manipulate parts of, uh, parts of this certain layer of the atmosphere that's kind of my my five second spiel about what harp does and as soon as you say that the first question people have is wait it manipulates the atmosphere therefore it controls the weather and you know i i had a good friend of mine that that was his first question for me when i told him what it did and you know no no disrespect to him i mean that was a totally legitimate question from his perspective it's completely outside of his field he has no way to you know know that I'm talking about, uh, you know, a part of the atmosphere that's like 50 miles higher than where all the clouds are. So no, it is not affecting the weather in any way. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the core of it is just that there's, there's some nuances to it that a simple explanation of what the facility does, you know, you can't include all the nuances because that's not necessarily common knowledge. Um, and that I think is where the where the conspiracies kind of start to get their root is they kind of take root from that that slight gap in knowledge there and i suppose once you combine that with this facility that is is remote i mean you know even for alaskans it's a bit out there and then especially obviously for the bulk of the country that lives not in alaska right anything to do with alaska is already remote and out there so then like it's like oh this remote facility it must be like a secret thing and they're manipulating the atmosphere so clearly there's a secret facility that is you know causing hurricanes or whatever earthquakes right and so i think yeah <laughs> as you said it the, just the the gap in knowledge and then the idea that it is you know this place that is not you know anywhere uh, where people know right like it's not in familiar country for a lot of people 
uh, and then the things it's doing are unfamiliar concepts and that, you know, what it's doing, the scientific pursuit it's doing is not like nothing about it basically is familiar for people. And so, yeah, I guess that would provide uh, quite fertile ground for interesting, uh, interesting, generously ideas to proliferate about it. I mean, sp speaking of popular references earlier, Evans, too, like immediately when you said manipulation of weather and like, you know, the, the movie that comes up like Geostorm, right? <laughs> I think we've probably talked about this, but satellites adapting and, and changing the weather accordingly and causing natural disasters at at call, right? Um, stuff like that. Of course, all fictional currently, um, you know, but uh, yeah, wow, that's it's, it's good to know. Um, as we wrap, our, wrap up our show here today, Evans, thanks again for joining us. Um, but we always ask this final question, which is kind of, you know, what is anthropology for speaking of anthropology but um I, I might even add you know for you uh what is uh, astronomy what is physics um, these are like definitely different things i know very separate um but like in in the realm of what you what you're working on currently um what is it what is that right um so we'll start with what is anthropology though yeah so once again, this is a really good question that I've kind of had to think about. Um, I think for me, I see anthropology as it's studying our cultural interactions, like how how our culture, our society, you know, interacts with ideas um, and, you know, trying to trying to draw kind of draw information from those trends like um, you know, how does our society interact with, you know, as we've been talking about today, the idea of like science communication and the uh, physics and math and all of that, like how do those, how does culturally, how do we interact with that? Um, and in a similar vein for other fields. That's, yeah, uh, the honorary anthropologist has been granted, right, Dylan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was really good really good definition in my opinion yeah um i sign off on the honorary intro <laughs> uh title there yeah if you accept evans of course um that you know evans again um feel free to add any other notes here too um but uh yeah you know we, we've talked a little bit about science communication public outreach um in the various fields that that you've worked on um maybe any any last notes for us before we end the show today uh, well, first off, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. This is uh, this has been a real pleasure, and I definitely uh, have enjoyed my time here. And um, it's refreshing to be able to have a dialogue with, uh, you know, the, we have kind of this divide in our minds sometimes about social sciences versus natural sciences. And it's, I believe we've we've talked about this before, Kevin, that uh, it's good sometimes to be able to just connect and interact and show that you know they're not foreign creatures. We don't. Uh, we don't sit on opposite sides of the of the aisle and uh, throw insults at each other. You know, we can we can engage in a good discussion, and uh, I, I've really enjoyed my time today. So, thanks so much, Evans. Yeah, thank you for coming on, and yeah, I do really appreciate that sentiment, right? Of yeah, we're all ultimately just you know scientists trying to study the world, you know, whether that's the humans in it or the ionosphere. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you again for uh, coming on to Speaking of Anthropology here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks 
for folks who have missed prior uh, episodes of the show, you can hear those at speakingranthro.wixsite.com slash speakingranthro. And uh, we will be live again, you know, every Friday from 11 to noon, Alaska time.